Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 87 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we are recording this on Thursday, October 27th. The New York Rangers are off today before practicing on Friday and then embarking on a short road trip for the weekend. And while I'm at home on my day off, I'm going to warn you guys, if you hear a loud thud followed by silence, don't mind that. That's just me sleeping on my desk. The baby has been sick for the last couple days. He's had some very restless nights, which isn't ideal when daddy is coming home from working late for back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday night. But I'm going to power through. We're going to get done with this podcast today and then hopefully maybe close my eyes for a little bit this afternoon and then have a nice relaxing night with the family. Thankfully, thankfully, the little guy seems to have turned the corner today and is feeling better. But he he had a nasty cold with wheezing and all kinds of stuff for a couple days. So been to the doctor's office, been to Long Island, been to Madison Square Garden, been up trying to get babies back to sleep at three o'clock in the morning. It's been a whirlwind of a few days, but here we are. It's podcast time a day later than usual this week because the Rangers had those back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So this episode will be coming to you guys on Friday morning. Then later on in the day on Friday, I'll be running to practice and then running to the airport to travel to Dallas. The Rangers will have an afternoon game against the Stars on Saturday. And then back-to-backs be flying to Arizona on Sunday for a game against the Coyotes on Sunday night. So I will be with the team on that trip. I will obviously keep you guys posted on everything going on with the team while we're away maybe get some sleep in a hotel as well, I'm hoping for. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, it has been an interesting week or so since we last spoke for the Rangers. They've lost four games in a row, which surprisingly, they didn't do that at all last year during the regular season. The only time they lost four in a row was in the Eastern Conference Final. They won the first two to go up two to nothing on the Tampa Bay Lightning, but then they ran out of gas and lost four in a row. That was the only time last season that that happened to them. Again, it did not occur at all during the regular season. So because of the expectations surrounding this team and because of the fact that we didn't see this happen at all last year, I am sensing some small pockets of angst among the fan base. And while we're definitely going to dissect what to make of those losses on this show, I'm here to remind you all, it's way too early to panic. I know that should go without saying, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. We're going to talk about that as well as all of the uniqueness, I think, that comes with following a season where the expectations are high. We haven't had that for the Rangers in a number of years, definitely not in my time covering it. So to talk about that on this week's show, we're going to have another crossover episode. Some of you will remember we did one of these on the first season of the podcast with the guys from the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast. That would be Ryan Mead and Greg Kaplan. Become pretty friendly over the years. I get a kick out of those guys. I think they're pretty fun. And so we had been chatting a little bit, and I asked them if they wanted to come on this week and just talk about the the pulse of the fan base right now and, and what it's like 
reacting to these games, which those of us that do podcasts and write and report and all that do, when it's so early and there's such a long way to go and you know the real meaningful games for this team aren't coming for a while. So we'll, we'll talk with Greg and Ryan about that in just a little bit. But but let's first dive into some of the stuff that's happened in the last week. I do have some thoughts I want to share with you guys. And I think what struck me above all else as I've processed things in the last number of hours is that these first couple weeks of the season have been so starkly different from what we saw in the first couple weeks and first couple months, really, of last season. Many of you will remember the knock on this team last year was that they were getting caved in defensively. They were getting consistently outshot. They weren't generating enough offense at five on five, yet they kept finding ways to win these games mainly because Igor Shosturkin was playing at a Vesna Trophy level and having an, a, an historic season. And that allowed the Rangers to continue winning despite these flaws that so many of us who follow the team closely were seeing and scratching our heads about. This year is so opposite from that because if you watch these games and if you look at the numbers, the Rangers have, in a lot of instances, looked like the better team and been the team that's generating more shots and more chances and more possession, yet they keep finding ways to trip themselves up. So it's become this sort of this sort of 180 where now we feel like things look better. We feel like there are signs of progress as far as the way that the Rangers are generating offense or at least getting themselves in position to score. We're going to talk about that quite a bit on this episode, I'm sure, yet the results aren't there. They're not scoring these goals. They're not finishing these opportunities. And now they've lost four games in a row. So it's kind of this weird, bizarro twilight zone thing going on with this team right now. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the numbers. I know this doesn't mean much to some. I'm going to explain why I think it's worth noting here. And and it's also kind of funny that Gerard Gallant did make a joke following Wednesday's loss against the Islanders that the analytic guys are wrong because the Rangers analytics look pretty good right now, yet the team is losing. So I thought that was kind of a a humorous moment, lightening the mood a little bit after the loss for the Rangers. But Gallant knows this as well as I know this and, and as well as a lot of other people know this. The Rangers are generating. They are getting themselves in position to score. If you look at their expected goal rates, and I, the one that I reference most often is usually Clearside Analytics, which is run by Steve Valaket, who you guys have heard on this show before, and their method of tracking scoring chances, to me, is more sophisticated than what you're going to find on a lot of the publicly available sites. But you look on the publicly available sites, and they're echoing some of the same themes here, and that is that through seven of the Rangers' first eight games, They have underperformed their expected goals for. What that means is, that might sound like a fancy term, but what it really means is that based on the quality of the scoring chances that the Rangers are generating, so that means shots and opportunities that they're getting from the dangerous areas on the ice. You guys know where they are, the front of the net, the slot, odd man rushes, those sort of things. Based on that, we're able to calculate 
that the Rangers are expected to roughly score about this many goals in a game based on the quality of their scoring chances. But if you look at their expected goals and their actual goals, the number of actual goals has been lower than the expected goals in seven of the eight games. So while we could debate how accurate the expected goals are, and I do very much think it's an imperfect science, the main point that I'm trying to make here is that the Rangers have chances to score. They're just not cashing in on them for whatever reasons. And I was actually asking around about this a little bit today. And somebody that I was texting with said, if you look at a couple of the last games in particular, you got to look at who's having those chances. The Rangers have guys that we know are high quality finishers, but a lot of these high danger chances that we've seen from them against the Islanders, against the Avalanche, against the Blue Jackets, and against the Sharks, which is the four teams that they've lost to, a lot of times it ends up being guys maybe in those positions who aren't necessarily the best finishers. That might be an oversimplification. I think in a few instances you can definitely point to that. But I also think that there's something going on now, and players in the locker room were finally talking about this after the loss to the Islanders on Wednesday night, where I think it's in their heads a little bit right now, where it's like, hey, we feel like we should be putting up more goals than we are right now, and it's perplexing that the scoreboard isn't reflecting that. And even if you want to simplify it even more, just look at the shots, the shot totals that the Rangers are posting in these games. I'm going to I'm going to give you some averages here for the Rangers. At 5 on 5 per 60 minutes through the first 8 games of the season, the Rangers are averaging about 33 and a half shots per 60 minutes. Meanwhile, they're only allowing about 27 and a half. So they've had a distinct advantage in shots for versus shots against in almost all of these games. They're actually top 10 in the league in both categories right now. Last year, the Rangers on average actually got outshot at five on five. They were only generating about 27 and a half shots per game, or I'm sorry, per 60 minutes. And they were just about 30 shots allowed per game. So they've improved significantly in both of those categories. They're getting more pucks through to the net. They're creating more chances. They're just not finishing right now. And to me, that feels like more of a slump that if they continue to do these things and continue to create these chances, you have to assume at some point the dam will break and things will open up and the Rangers will get a goal. I talk about this a little bit with Ryan and Greg in a bit, and I I mentioned it to Gerard Gallant last night as well. It just feels like they need to maybe find ways to get one of these greasy goals, to get one of those tip-ins or rebounds or one that goes off somebody's backside, whatever it takes to create some chaos around the net and and make something happen and get in, as Gerard Glant called it, an ugly goal. Because we saw in those first few games, especially against Tampa and then that game against Minnesota where the Rangers posted seven goals, it looked like everything was clicking. The passes were, the passes were finding their lanes, the, the openings were happening for them, and the Rangers were cashing in on, on a lot of these opportunities. And when they make those pretty plays, it's tempting to keep trying to go back to that well. But maybe that makes them sort of get away from doing the little things that you know might not look as pretty, 
but can ultimately help you score some goals. And I think the Rangers need to find the balance. They need to let that skill shine when the opportunity is there, but they also need to do some of the dirty work that will lead to some of those goals that that might feel unlucky, but a lot of times are the result of hard work and getting physical and getting nasty and doing some of those things that make it hard on the other team. Let's quickly run through these four losses, though, because I think when you look at them each individually, you can come more to the conclusion that it's maybe a little more fluky what we're seeing right now than it is some big overarching problem or all of a sudden the Rangers have become a losing team. I certainly don't think that is the case. This started with the overtime loss to the San Jose Sharks last week. And the Rangers, if you watch that game, they were clearly the better team for the first two periods. I don't know what happened in the third period when they were outshot 16-2. to They fell asleep at the wheel. I don't know what. Maybe the Sharks were motivated you know, to try to get their coach, David Quinn, a win against his former team that had fired him. That's probably a little bit overblown, that whole narrative. But I do, for whatever reason, feel like the Rangers just kind of stopped playing in that third period. They really had a big letdown, and it came back to bite them. And the game ends up going to overtime. They still come away with a point, but they did not deserve to win that game based on the way that they played. Next game against the Columbus Blue Jackets, I think that that feeling of letdown carried over into that game against Columbus a bit. But the 5-1 final score, I don't think really reflected how close that game was. Once again, the Rangers had some chances they weren't able to cash in on. But I don't think they played poorly enough where you can sit there and say they should have allowed five goals. If we're being honest, the goaltending hurt them more than anything in that game. Yaroslav Halak. I was a little surprised to see him get the start in that game, considering the Rangers had had two days off prior. I expected Igor Shesterkin to start in that game, but clearly they want to manage Igor's workload this season. You know, they probably looked at Columbus as a team that maybe they could get away with playing the backup against, but Halak was very hard on himself after that game. I do give him credit for that, but he was not sharp. He he said it himself. He was not good in that game, and it cost the Rangers. Now, If you don't score, you're not going to win. But when your goalie gives up some deflating goals in the way that Halak did against Columbus, that takes the wind out of your sails for sure. So those two games were letdowns, but not lopsided or not completely dud performances. The Rangers did things in both of those games where you felt like they would give themselves a chance, but for one reason or another, in the case of San Jose, a bad third period, and in the case of Columbus, some untimely goaltending, they end up losing both of those games. Then the defending champs, the Colorado Avalanche, come into town on Tuesday. And the first period, the Avalanche were flying, the Rangers were on their heels, and you're thinking, okay, this could be a long night for them. But I'll give the Rangers credit for this. They took a punch And they punched back because I thought they really steadied the ship in the second period, played pretty well in those final two periods, went toe to toe with what I would argue is still the best team in the league, even with some injuries that they're dealing with. They still have most of their star players in place. They're still a very, very good team, as you can see. And the Rangers went toe to toe with them. They end up getting that late goal on a great individual play from Adam Fox, where he basically removed Nathan McKinnon from a puck. I mean, physically 
manned up and pushed him off of that puck, which is a play you don't see Fox make too often, but it shows that he's capable of it. And then he was off to the races and ends up cashing in on the rush opportunity, going the other way to tie the game up with about six minutes left. That forces overtime. That guarantees the Rangers a point. And quite frankly, if not for a mistake with the puck that Igor Shosturkin made earlier in that third period, which we don't see him make very often, we kind of take for granted that Igor takes so many risks with the puck and usually ends up making a nice play. Occasionally that can come back to bite you, which is what happened in that game against Colorado. And if that hadn't happened, maybe the Rangers win that game outright. But they go through overtime, not, neither team scores, and then they end up losing on a shootout. But it's hard, to, it's hard to make too much of a shootout loss against the defending champs. I thought more than anything that was an encouraging performance for the Rangers. And then they go to Long Island on Wednesday to play the Islanders. And to me, the reason that they lose that game is twofold. Number one, excellent goaltending by Sorokin for the Islanders. He has definitely emerged in my eyes as one of the best goalies in the NHL right now. And then on top of that, as we touched on, you have a team in the Rangers that's just in a scoring slump right now. They had 41 shots on goal. It wasn't for a lack of opportunities, but they couldn't beat Sorokin. And I think it kind of got into their head. And and after the game, Mika Zibanejad was the guy that I spent the most time talking to. And you could sense it. He, He was saying it like, look, we're in a tough stretch right now for whatever reason the pucks aren't going in for this. The, the, it usually happens at some point during the season. And for us, it's happening right now. But I thought Meek actually did a pretty good job of saying like, look, we know the guys in this room. We've been through wars before. We're going to keep working at it. And we all trust that eventually things are going to come around. And while that might sound cliche, that might sound like trying to gloss over the problem, I think it's fair. I think this team at this stage of the season We haven't even played a month yet. We're still in October. They've only played eight games. I think we can give them the benefit of the doubt and see how things play out. I do think that injuries to Philip Hedl and Vitaly Kratsov are hurting the bottom six right now. There really doesn't feel like there's much scoring punch on the third and fourth lines, especially with Hedl out. He's going to miss at least two more games. He won't be coming on the trip with the Rangers this weekend. So that hurts them for sure. It looked like it was a head injury that Hedl suffered in that game against, I want to say it was the Avalanche now. No, I'm sorry. It was against the Blue Jackets. It's all a blur. I told you guys I barely slept this week. It was against the Blue Jackets where Cole Sillinger, his shoulder collides with Hedl's head and Hedl came off. He was clearly shaken up. You definitely fear that that might have been a concussion or something along those lines, some kind of head trauma. So you have to be careful with that kind of injury. And so the Rangers aren't going to rush him back. But Hedl is a real difference maker for them in the bottom six. And not having him right now certainly hurts them. You've got Panarin and Zabanajad who were on fire to start the season. And now those guys have cooled off. They both had a few games in a row with no points. Chris Kreider still kind of looking for that scoring touch that we saw last season. But again, there's such a long way to go. We'll see what they do in Dallas and Arizona. They absolutely need to, at minimum, split those two games. But with the second game being against an Arizona team that is frankly not very good, you have to feel like you have an opportunity to take both. If that happens, all of these nerves and and all of the worry would dissipate quite quickly. And and we'll see how it plays out. If they lose both of those games, then you know going into next week, there's probably a little bit more urgency. But again, we're still 
only in late October. So long, long way to go. So with that, let's get to the Blue Shirt Breakaways, boys. And then I will be back after that segment of the show to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome back into the show some guests that we had on in season one. We're now on season three, so it's been a while. I have been on their podcast. They happen to host my second favorite Rangers podcast, Blue Shirts Breakaway. That would be the co-hosts of that show, Ryan Mead and Greg Kaplan. So what's up, boys? How you doing? Thank you for taking a season off. I really yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> you guys are on the every other season train with me. I can't quite do every season, but every other no, season. No. Now, hold on. Hold on. Your favorite Ranger podcast is your own podcast, your favorite Ranger podcast? Correct. That's a, that's a, that's a little self-centered, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, no, but, my, you know. My favorite Ranger podcast is us, Greg. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I do listen oh, to this. I, I can't stand our podcast. My favorite Ranger podcast <laughs> is Vince's. Oh, that's you great. I appreciate that, Greg. I do. I know, every I, I'm going to change. I'm changing my rankings now. I think it's going to be up in the blue seats after this new information. I got. Oh, no, no. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, so I, I, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, I have not listened to any Rangers podcast, including my own. I mean, I, I do some editing on my own, but I don't like listen back to my own. The only one that I do on occasion check out is you guys depend, you know, sometimes you guys wow. have some interesting guests. Sometimes I'm just, you know, it's good for a laugh when I'm in the I've gym. You're stealing our guests recently, Vince. Nice job. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Julie was on uh, your show last week. Yeah, but Julie's an SNY colleague of mine. No, I know. I know. I'm just making fun <laughs> of you. Let's get to the Rangers already. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't even I don't even have any really specific questions for you guys. I just thought it would be fun to mess around for a couple hours. Well, not a couple hours, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, this is all of a sudden becoming my longest lunch break ever. Where yeah. I, hey, yeah. Greg, why'd you disappear for two hours? I just had to talk to some guys. We had to break down every single line, all the combinations we could possibly switch. Vince, I'll I'll interview you a little bit. Uh we talked last night, late last night after the Islanders lost a game where the Rangers played, I think, pretty well. Obviously, they have like a bajillion shots. Everything is going really well for them. They get shut out. Do you think any line changes will happen in the next two weeks? Do you get the feeling that Gallant will do anything like that? Because uh, I could see Kako moving down to that second line, Lafreniere moving up. But everything seems to be gravy with the shooting and the offense just not going in. Yeah, I honestly don't think he's going to make any changes right now. And he only has 12 healthy forwards right now. So it's not like you could plug somebody new into the lineup. I don't know how long Kratzoff is going to be out. I, I did notice him get hurt in that game against the Avalanche. He seemed to come off the ice kind of favoring that left arm. And I don't get the sense that it's too serious, but they did call up Julian Gauthier. So they obviously needed a guy to plug in there. I, I don't know. I don't It's really it's an interesting spot that they're in right now, because if you think back to last season early on, they were getting caved in all the time. They were getting outshot. They weren't generating a whole lot of offense at five on five, but they were winning because Igor was carrying them. This season is like the opposite. They are generating way more than they were in the early portion of the season last year. Shots are way up. Shots against are way down. Scoring chances, they've pretty much won that battle every single game. But if you look at what they're generating versus what they're actually scoring, the numbers just don't match up. I was actually texting with somebody uh, who works around the league earlier today, and they were their point was, 
a lot of these guys that are generating these high danger scoring chances for the Rangers aren't necessarily their best finishers, at least in these last few games when they've had this losing streak going on. So I don't think it's any reason to panic. I don't sense any panic from Gerard Gallant right now. I, I don't think given the options that he has, especially with Philip Hedel being hurt right now, that he's going to shake things up. Like maybe if Hedel was healthy, could I see him considering the kid line for a little bit, possibly, but with Hedel out right now, I don't think he's going to change things. And I, I think that Kako and Lafreniere have both had their moments in the top six so far. I, I don't think that I would be able to justify moving them down in the lineup at this point. So to answer your question, I don't think you're going to see any lineup changes. I think they're going to run it back in these next two games with Dallas and Arizona and hope that they can get on track and that some of these pucks finally start going in for them. So I, it, I actually kind of wanted to ask you guys about this because I'm sensing already, even though we've only played eight games, a lot of angst from the fan base or certain segments of the fan base. Obviously a lot of this is coming from social media and you know, that can kind of be the, the vocal minority a lot of the time, but there does seem to be because this four game losing streak is happening. And that didn't happen for the entire season last year, minus the Eastern conference final. There seems to be some concern. I mean, where do you guys stand on that? What are you sensing from the fan base right now? Like, is, is it too early to, to get after you? Is it too early to get into all that? Or are there reasons that you guys think uh, are legitimate for concern? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy you brought up the P word because I want, I do want to hear your opinion of whether there's any in the locker room itself. And I'm sure the answer there is no. But I, I want to say it's a very small minority of very loud Ranger fans on Twitter that seem to be, I've heard things like Kreider is, is awful all of a sudden. The Rangers show no fight. The Rangers show no heart. They're empty calorie shots. You go down the line, and it, it's the eight-game mark, Vince. It, it's not even, what, 9% of the season is what we're talking about. The Rangers had difficult stretches last year where the only reason they would win a game is because Igor Shosturkin stood on his head. And then all of a sudden, it's Ilya Sorokin who makes 40-plus saves against the Rangers on the second night of a back-to-back. And when it happens to the Rangers... It's almost like there is no acceptance that, well, it has to be internal. It has to be something the Rangers are doing. It has to be a flaw in the Ranger system. It can't possibly be that it's just a hot goalie. And I understand that it, it's, it's tough because it's four straight games. And when you start making excuses for every individual game, it sounds like you're trying to be overly positive and not nearly critical enough. But honestly, like, break it down. They played a really terrible third period against the Sharks, and it cost them that game. All right, that one period was bad. They did not show up for the Columbus game. Full full, full take. So you, if you want to be angry about Columbus, I'm all for it. But then the Avalanche game was a 50-50 game that got decided by a skills competition. Rangers could have won that game on a coin flip, it, that, and that's the best team in the NHL they went up against. That was a game that you play that game ten times, each team wins five. I can't panic about that. And then, well, and the if, you don't, game, if you don't get an uncharacteristic mistake from Igor, the Rangers probably do win that game. Yeah. And I mean, so you could say the same thing about the Sharks. If you don't get an uncharacteristic mistake in overtime by Adam Fox, they could possibly win that game too. So those two games alone are coin flips. And then last night, Sorokin just, he, Sorokin was incredible. Like, I, I, I honestly, we did BSBOT last night. And I honestly tried to go into that show thinking about something 
I can pick apart, something I can complain about in terms of what the Rangers actually did on the ice. And it's a game they lost in which they took 41 shots, dominated play, seemed to control play more often. The goals the Islanders scored came against the run of play. I, I, like, I wish I could be angry and complaining about the Rangers' style of play recently. It's just, they're fine. They're just not getting the wins. They're not getting goals. But when you're taking 90 shots in two games and you have guys like Panarin, Fox, Zibanejad, Kreider, Kako, Lafreniere, the goals are going to come. I couldn't. I I personally could not be less worried. But you can tell that there's this undercurrent coming where fans are planting their flag early and saying, "No, no, no! I want to be able to tell you I told you so." If the Rangers don't come out of this, but I, I don't. I just I don't see it. I, I think this team. I honestly think this team is fine. And I think the overreaction theater. I think it's a little bit baseball induced. I do. I think people are upset about how the baseball season ended in both boroughs and they're taking it out on the New York Rangers. That's an interesting point. <laughs> that is fair. I mean, I think, you know, everybody's got to turn their attention to, to hockey and basketball now. Well, and obviously football, football is going pretty well for New York, but that is, that is an interesting point because I know a lot of Yankee fans who are very irritable this, this week. And I know a lot of Yankees fans are also Rangers fans. So that, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting point there, Greg. Ryan, do you have anything to add on that? <laughs> No, I think Greg nailed it. I mean, I, I'm not worried about this team. Uh, I, I posted a LeBron James quote this morning. Like, I've been in a lot of adverse situations, and I just don't see this as one of them. Uh, it's not. It, the Rangers have been in bad places over the past couple of years. They're playing well. Uh, yeah, they haven't uh, gritted and dri- driven to the net. Well, Kako drove to the net last night through four people, and if that goal gets put in, that's on a Ranger highlight. That play was sick. Years. That play sick. was so sick. Yeah. If, if he just finishes that. And, and that was another play where Sorokin, I don't know how he saved that because it, it's not like I think Kako did anything wrong there. I just think Sorokin half made a great, yeah, half made a great play and then half got a little lucky. Exactly. But if that goes in, we're talking about that for years. I'm posting that gift every day of my life for the rest of, like for the rest of eternity. But so they, they are doing the right things. I think the players are playing quite well. I mean, we talked about this a week ago when they were gangbusters. I mean, uh, Panarin is out of his mind right now. The power play is a little bit, you know, I don't want to say lackluster, but they're in a little bit of a, a scoring slump, but they still look good at times. They still look dangerous. Yeah. One for their last 15 though, on the power play and, and they hang their hat on that power play. We know five on five offense at times can be a little bit of a struggle for them, especially when the bottom six is lacking skill the way that they are right now. So they need the power play to be better than one for 15. But again, very, very early and a long way to go. Well, let me get hot here, Vince, since we're on a lunch break and we're talking about this stuff. Does that power play struggle without Ryan Strom? No, I don't think. I actually think Trocek, I think Trocek's been pretty good. I actually, I had a conversation with Trocek about this a handful of days ago. You can see he's kind of figuring out, you know, when to, when to crash the net and look for rebounds and look for tips and deflections and things like that. And then when to come out a little bit and look to set himself up for those, those one timers from the high slot. So he told me he's getting really comfortable and getting a feel for what guys like Mika and Panarin want to do. So I I think he's fit in pretty well. I don't, I don't see missing Strom a huge part of that power play. I mean, let's be real. What makes that power play run is Mika's one timer 
and then the passing from Panarin and Fox and then Kreider at the net front. I mean, those are the four pieces that make that power play work. The guy in the bumper just needs to be opportunistic, needs to retrieve pucks sometimes, needs to jump on rebounds, and then does need to know when to kind of bounce out and look for his own shots from the high slot. So I think Trocek is getting a better feel for that. I think Trocek has been pretty good. I mean, listen, if there's anything that you can say about the lack of offense right now, it's this. In those first few games, the Rangers, it seemed like every passing sequence was working for them. Those tic-tac-toe plays, all those skill plays that we know when they're clicking, they're capable of making, they were working, especially I I think all the time about that game in Minnesota. It just seems like everything they did was working that night offensively. But when those kind of plays aren't happening for them, they do sort of struggle a little bit to finish. And what Gerard Gallant touched on last night and what a few of the players have told me in conversations in the last few days is I, I know it's cliche and I know people don't like hearing this all the time, but what they could really use right now is a garbage goal, a rebound, a tip, some kind of scrum in front of the net. Like, I think that's the type of thing when you're in one of these ruts, you need to happen to get you out of it. And the Rangers sometimes drift away from doing those kind of things. Sometimes they're looking for the pretty play and they lose sight of the dirty play. And I think that that is what they need to be a little more conscious of. Like I know guys like Barclay Gaudreau talk about that all the time. And he's one of the guys that looks to do those things, but they do have a lot of players that sometimes play a little bit on the perimeter too much and and don't work hard enough to get inside. So maybe that's the type of thing I think you're going to look for them to do in Dallas and Arizona to get themselves on the board. And Vince, well, Vince, to your point, I, I'll, I'll ask you this. Isn't that really what the Rangers are missing most by not having Phil Heedle in the lineup? I know on our show, we talk all the time about how we wish some of these guys would just be more selfish with the puck and that they would be more hungry themselves to score their own goal. And Heedle, to me, at least this year and last year in the playoffs, he's truly embodied this. I have the puck. I'm going to do something special. I'm going to create for myself in the moment. Now, we joke about it, how it's essentially him. He has to do it when he's playing with guys like Sammy Blay, Jimmy VC, and Barclay Goodrow, guys you can't exactly lean on to help you offensively. So Heedle has this selfish mindset where if it's not going to be him, it's not going to be anybody. But taking him out of the lineup, it feels just even more apparent that, you know, it, it's tough, like you said, to make make mention of East-West play because it is such a pretty style of hockey to play when it's working. Case in point, just look at the Avalanche game, VC to Fox, that entire play. When it works, it's beautiful, but sometimes you just need brute force. And Heedle truly is one of the players that does play with absolute brute force in the lineup when he's in. And you take that out, and it's almost like the team loses that identity or that example where people aren't doing the things Heedle is doing because they don't see him doing it himself. Yeah, Heedle is he's such an important player to this team because he brings something, at least based on the way the lineup is currently constructed, he brings something that that nobody else on the bottom six brings. His combination of skill and speed, which we've been talking about for years, but there's nobody really on this team that can match it. I mean, Kreider, I think in a one-on-one race could hang right with him. Kreider might be a little bit faster than him. I've actually joked with some of the guys about you know wondering who would win that race because I think those are the two fastest guys on the team. But in in terms of his hands and what he can do in open ice, Heedle, I think, has more skill than Kreider. Kreider's obviously better at the net front, but Heedle brings those elements, and not having him in the lineup 
it leaves a void. It leaves a big hole. And I've said this to some people. I don't know if I've even said it on the podcast, but I've said it in conversations with people. Heedle to me, the way that he's carrying himself at practice and in the locker room. And as you guys know, we're back in the locker room this year. So I already feel like my feel for what the pulse of the team is, is, is so much better than it was the previous two seasons. Heedle just, He's just got this confidence. He's always smiling. He's joking around with the guys, but he just seems so comfortable in his own skin. And I know people discount that. Like people don't want to hear about that side of things all the time, but it's so important to me having been around these guys for these young players, for Lafreniere, for Kako, for Vitaly Kratzov, who I think is still struggling to find that niche and find that inner confidence. Like for these guys to feel like they belong feel like their routine every day is comfortable they're comfortable in their surroundings they're comfortable about where they live like i'll give you guys a little aside on this kako is a guy who i've had a couple conversations with in the last couple weeks for his first couple seasons he was either staying in a hotel or staying with a host family he was in westchester a lot of the time and so what what he would do even for home games is go into the city earlier in the day and the rangers would basically put him up in a hotel and he would just kind of lounge around a hotel, nap, whatever he does. But he told me it made all 82 games feel like a road game. But now that he's been around for a few more years, he's decided that he wants to live in the city. He's able to kind of find this comfort zone, feel like he belongs, feel like he he, he knows where he lives and he knows what his routine is going to be each day. He knows what kind of social activities he wants to get into. And so he was telling me now he, he feels more like a New Yorker. He feels more like this is the place where he lives. This is the place where he's comfortable. And so he'll very much so to me, maybe even more than any of those guys right now has, has just felt like he's walking around the facility. Like I belong here. I'm comfortable with where I live. I'm comfortable with my role on this team. I'm comfortable with the things that I need to do to have success. And and I've said this before, but to me, he's, he's definitely a guy who I I think is going to have a big year as long as he can stay healthy. He has had injury issues in the past. He seems to miss a little bit of time every single season. So you cross your fingers and you hope that he can stay healthy, but Heedle is such an important part of this team because he brings things that pretty much nobody else in the bottom six can bring. Well, let me, let me ask you one thing, Ryan, before you jump in Uh, for Vince, honest question. Do we notice the power play struggles more with this one for 15 stretch they're on because in the last three games with Heedle being out, we're not going from PP one to kid line like the Rangers were earlier in the season with enormous success where it felt like the Rangers would come off a power play in which they controlled the puck for two minutes. And if they didn't score, well, now you're getting the kid line back together for the next 45 second shift. And it's just constant chaos. Do we notice the power play struggles more because when those five guys come off the ice, you are stranded essentially with a hodgepodge line that includes more grinder bottom six likes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably obviously it's nice to have that option to go to the kid line when the power play is over. But I I think the the issue with the power play right now, and and we should definitely note that they've been against two of the better penalty kills in particular in the league in the last few games. The Sharks, when they played them, had not allowed a PK goal so far this season. I don't know if that's changed since then, but I know the Islanders are 25 for 25. So you do have to give a little bit of credit to the other team. But I think they need to start rolling out more in their bag of tricks because they obviously are constantly looking for Mika and that one timer. And 
even when teams know it's coming, we've seen Mika score it, but it does feel like the defense is cheating that way. The goalies are cheating that way a little bit. Now we've seen Mika attempt a handful of those in the last few games. And the goalie is right there. Sorokin was definitely right there in position to make a few stops in that game on Wednesday night. So I just think they need to kind of get into their bag of tricks a little bit more. They need guys like Panarin and Fox to, to find different passing lanes, maybe try some different things. We've seen Mika move into different positions in the past. Obviously his best spot is on that left circle for that one timer, but maybe they just need to change things up. So things don't get stale. I think that's something they're probably talking about right now. And you might see the power play try a few different plays, a few different looks in these next upcoming games, just to try to get them out of this little funk that they're in right now. That to me is, I think a bigger thing than, than maybe, you know, who's coming after the power play is over. That's definitely why people are also flaming Chris Kreider because last year he was a plow. He had more power play points than I think some team had goals <laughs> on the power play, which is it, ridiculous. It feels like he's, it feels like he's last year. He, he, now listen, he is to me, arguably the best net front guy in the league. I see him work on it at practice every day. The skills that he has there are, it's something that he works really hard on and he's refined. And I'm not, you know, I certainly don't want to discount that at all, but last year it felt like almost all of those were going in for him. And now this year it feels like he's been in position to get some of those goals, but maybe he's just getting a little unlucky now. So maybe eventually he's going to end up somewhere in between. He's not going to, he's not going to be getting stopped as often as he is right now, but he's also maybe not going to score 52 again. I had a couple of really great chances in the first couple of games when the Rangers were blowing the doors off teams. And yeah. uh, since since then, I mean, you talk about going to Mika and being predictable. I, I think maybe ha- parking Chris in front of the goalie and passing, uh, you know, one of the reasons he's so successful is because Adam Fox is an amazing passer. Setting it up, setting it up for him and just having that as the go-to. Like when you talk about the bag of tricks, that's what I think they'll adjust to. They're like, let's what worked last year? Oh yeah, Chris scored like 38 power play goals. Why don't we just do that again? Maybe that's the way it works. So I, I want to ask you guys this because you guys, I know you do, you loyally do your podcast every single week and podcast podcast is a forum to have opinions and, and to, to talk about all kinds of stuff. A lot of hot takes get thrown around on a lot of different podcasts. I've been feeling this way early in the season. I was talking to a couple other reporters about this the other day, this season to me as somebody who covers the team feels so much different than my first three seasons, because my first three seasons The expectations weren't at the level where they're at right now. And it felt like the things that were happening in the regular season were consequential in the big picture, as far as what it meant for the rebuild. What have the young players looked like? How are people developing? How are new guys like Panarin and Truba fitting in? All that stuff seems to have settled a little bit. Like, obviously, we're still interested in the growth in some of the young players. And obviously, there's guys that are really fun to watch on this team. But it does feel like I, it feels like I can't overreact to anything that's happening right now because we know that what really matters for this team is what's going to happen in the spring. Like everything that they're doing now is just trying to build toward being at their best once the playoffs come around. Obviously, they have to win enough to make the playoffs, but we all feel pretty confident they'll be able to do that. So it feels like I don't want to stretch myself for hot takes when they're not there. I don't want to overreact to a loss in October when I know that what really matters is what's going to happen in April and May and and they hope June. So for you guys, as people who do a podcast every week, like does this season feel different? Does it feel like, like there's not as many hot takes to have this early in the season because 
that we still have such a long way to go and you know that the goals for this team are way higher than winning games in October? We, we actually talked about this through the preseason. It just seemed like this team knows who they are. They know how good they are as well, which is something they did not know last year. Uh, the predictions for the team, I think, was like fifth place, ended up in second. Uh, but this is a team now that has a chip on their shoulder. They, you can see that they want to sim to the end of the season. Now, does that suck for fans? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. But it, they're ready for the playoffs. They know what the, the long grind is for. And they know that the seeding in the NHL is very strange. So getting the first overall seed in the Metro, while important to the team, isn't the end-all be-all. It's making it to the dance and then getting ready for the dance. That's all this team is going to be thinking about all year. The expectations this year aren't about the future. They're about this year, next year, and the year after. Because Vince, those are the three years that Igor Shosturkin is on a what I would call a cheap contract for who he is. After that, not so sure. But these next three years, cop aspirations or bust. And the team knows that. And if they don't pace themselves, and they can't go out all out every single night. They know they'll be burnt out. Look at Adam Fox last year towards the end of the year. Not that Adam Fox is bad in the playoffs, but I would say he wasn't his normal, mystical, magical Adam Fox self because he was burnt out. He played injured. He played 82 games. He's playing like, not 82 games. He was injured for a while. Uh, he, he was playing like 30 minutes a night. This team knows what it takes now. It, it was exhausting for you, me, and Greg to cover the team. I can't even imagine what it was like to play a game every other night in those playoffs. So they're ready for the grind and they're ready to go through because they know what it's about. And for us, we don't want to overreact to anything because we're waiting for the playoffs. We'll overreact to some lineup decisions like Glant makes some questionable calls and there's stuff that fans get angry about, but I'm not I'm not freaking out at this point in time. Greg? Yeah, for me, it's two-part. The, the first part is essentially what we've been talking about uh, this entire podcast, which is I, I would honestly, if I thought there were things to complain about right now, I'd complain about them. But even with the Rangers on a four-game losing streak, I think they're playing well. And I think if they play this exact style of hockey throughout the entire season, they're going to be fine and they're going to be in the playoffs and they're going to make some noise. The second part, if I could stay on my own personal brand here for a little bit, I think the last three years, Vince, that you mentioned, the Rangers were in their Mets baseball phase where the regular season played more of importance because the postseason wasn't promised. So we were, we were analyzing in-game decisions more closely because while we would like to make the playoffs, that wasn't the expectation. So you were picked, you were picking apart reasons why things weren't going exactly as well as you wanted them to. And you were more critical because you were in a rebuilding phase where young players getting ice time is important. How you establish your power play is important. Who's playing with who on defense is important. Where guys are situated in the lineup and who they're playing with is important. All those things factor in when, you're, when your end goal is not necessarily playoffs. Your end goal is growth. But now this season... We are firmly in our Yankee phase where I don't care, essentially, not, not just the Rangers feel this way, but us as fans. It doesn't matter what the Rangers do from game one to 82. They have to make the playoffs and then they have to be really good in the playoffs. And we will judge this entire season based on what the Rangers do in late April, May and June. That's it. it they, they, like the Yankees won 99 games. Every Yankee fan knew didn't matter how many games they won in the regular season. You were going to judge the season and judge everything the Yankees do based on what they do in the playoffs. And the Rangers, to go to a Max Scherzer quote, uh, pressure's a privilege. And the Rangers are entering their pressure phase where we're, we now expect them not just to make the playoffs, but to get a favorable seat. And we expect them, Ryan and I have talked about this on the show, we're going into the season and it's hard for me to think about a scenario in which 
the Rangers don't make the Eastern Conference final and I consider the season a success. Saying it out loud makes it seem ridiculous. That's truly the stage we're in. Like if the Rangers don't match what they did last year and find a way to improve upon it, it's going to be really hard for me to sit back here and say that was a good year, especially, again, just consider the roster makeup. Everybody is locked in for a long time. This is the Ranger roster that we are going to watch for the next four years. It's the moves the Rangers make are going to be on the margins. It's going to be maybe a depth defenseman, maybe bottom six forwards. But the foundation pieces, the guys the Rangers are going to go to war with that will either determine if they win a cup or don't, they're here. So this is it. This is essentially the finished product. So now the standards are different. I'm no longer hoping the Rangers have a good regular season. I expect them to have that. So I'm not even considering it. I'm now judging them based on what they do in the playoffs. And yes, some of that makes me feel like we are spinning our wheels and wasting our time by trying to freak out about something happening in October. But that this is just the world we occupy now. I, I'm, I'm done having these thoughts and opinions about what a regular season win or loss means for the Rangers. I'm worried about the 16 they're going to have to win in the spring and summer. That's my only concern. I knew the Mets were going to find their way into this conversation at some point. I just, I just knew it. I just knew well, it. But, it's, but it's, I I'm, do, I'm, I do think, I do, I do think that was a good analogy, and that was really well put, Greg. So I'll give you credit there. Yeah, well, I, I made sure to bring in your Yankees because I know how upset you are now about how that American League Championship Series went. My heart I, goes out to you. Well, uh, you know, Greg, I, I think we've talked about this before, but I, if this were me, like 10, 15 years ago, I would be pretty upset. I'm kind of desensitized to it now. I don't live and die with every game and every pitch the way that I did when I was when I was younger. But it's uh, you had me thinking there for a minute. Like, yeah, you know, the Rangers. We we've talked before about how this core is locked in for a while, and this is the core that they're hoping is going to be good enough to win the cup. The, the Yankees have a core that now we're, we're, it's becoming quite clear is not good enough to win it all. So that is going to be an interesting thing to watch, not just this year, but in the next couple of years with the Rangers. And I've written about this before, but is this core good enough? And unfortunately, we're not going to get those answers in October, which I think is kind of the point of what we're saying here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's just, I, again, like I'm not saying a, we, how many times have we said on each other's podcast, Vince, that a win in October is worth just as much as a win in March. Like That is true. And it's not to take for granted games you haven't won in October because we know when you put the season together at the end, you can look back and say, well, there's a point they left on the table in San Jose. There are two points they left on the table in New on the island, blah, blah, blah. I get all that, but I just think we're kidding ourselves if we're saying that, like, while the regular season is important, we're not grading this Rangers team based on how they looked in October and November. This team will be graded on what they do in the playoffs when they get there. And we're going to be hypercritical when we get to that point. But we're just so far away from that, that it's hard for me to get really worked up about something right now. Yeah, well, you got a lot of podcasts to do until then. So hopefully you'll come up with some kind of content. Guys, I know I know, I know, you got to get out of here. I really appreciate the time. Definitely check them out. I think the new podcast for you guys, Blue Shirts Breakaway, comes out every Tuesday morning, right? Every Tuesday for the last seven years, Vince. So, so it works out great. You can listen to them on Tuesday, and then mine comes out on Thursday. So you listen to me on Thursday. Although this week is actually going to be Friday, but usually it's Thursdays. So be sure to check out both. If you have to pick one, you only have time for one. Obviously pick mine. But... <laughs> But, uh, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I, I would highly recommend them. So, guys, uh, thanks a bunch, and uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Always a pleasure, Vince.
We are back. Thanks to Ryan and Greg for taking time, as you guys could tell, on their lunch hours to come on the podcast and chat with me for a little bit. I do appreciate them not wanting to record at night, which is the norm. Usually when I go on their show, it's a recording at night, but given the lack of sleep recently and the sick baby and the fact that I'm about to be away from the family for a few nights for this Dallas-Arizona trip, they made time for me during the day so that I could have the time with my family tonight, which I very much appreciate. I've said this before about those guys and it bears repeating. I know they rub some people the wrong way, but I really do appreciate how they don't take themselves too seriously. They're just a couple of passionate fans who love the team, who love to talk about the team, who have grinded to produce shows on their own every week and build an audience. And again, I don't think that they're out there trying to act like they're smarter than everybody else all the time. I think that they just have fun with it. They keep things interesting. They keep things light. I always enjoy talking to them. We definitely DM and text message and stuff like that on occasion. And I've been on their show, I don't even know how many times at this point, but it's always an enjoyable experience because I feel like I can kind of let my hair down, even though I don't have much hair anymore, and and have a little fun with them. So definitely appreciate that. And I was joking with them. I had them on during our first season. We didn't have them on for the second season. Now we tried the crossover episode again for season three. So you'll maybe hear from them again in season five. I think every season is probably a little too much for the competition, if you know what I mean. So anyway, let's move on and let's get to some of your Twitter questions. And I'm going to take two here and kind of combine them into one because I think that they're related. First question comes from Louis Pomerantz, who wrote, Handicap the current battle between Hayek and Jones. Is order restored Saturday with Jones re-entering the lineup? What do you make of the Harper edition? Meaning Harper is the defenseman that the Rangers signed to a one-year contract earlier on Thursday. So I'll explain a little bit of the details behind that signing. And by the way, his name is Ben Harper, which immediately made me think of the musician. I don't know if anybody else had that same thought, but that's just an FYI, a thought that crossed my mind. And then the other question, and again, I'm going to tie this all into one answer, comes from 0TG101, who wrote, do you think we see Matthew Robertson soon? So again, this is all about that sixth defenseman spot, that left-handed spot on the bottom pair, which to this point through eight games has been in flux for the Rangers. During camp, it was apparent that Zach Jones was the favorite for that job. He pretty much had the role from start to finish. I think the first day of camp, Libor Hayek was there, but after that, it was Jones the whole way through. And then Jones started the first couple games Hayek came in for one game, then Jones rejoined the lineup for the next few games. So I think so far, Jones has played five games, and Hayek has played three. Gerard Gallant was asked about this prior to the game against the Islanders, and he said, look, what we did to Libor last year, when Libor was on the roster for the entire season, but only appeared in, I believe, it was 17 games, and honestly, it felt like even less than that felt like the guy never played. He doesn't, Glenn said, we're not going to do that to him again this season. We're going to find spots 
to play him, and if he plays well, he'll continue to play. So you could look at this a few different ways. I think part of it is maybe taking a little bit off of Jones's plate. I don't think he necessarily needs to play every game to develop. I think he needs to play more often than not, which so far he has. I kind of expect to see him back in there on Saturday in Dallas. I thought Hayek was solid. Nothing stood out to you, but no glaring mistakes either in the first game against Colorado, which was a tough test for him. The Islanders, I thought he had a moment or two where he maybe looked a little bit shaky, but they're also sheltering him. They're not playing that bottom pair a whole lot. I think we talked about this on last week's episode. They very much lean on the top two pairs, and the bottom pair is more going to play 12, 13, maybe 14 minutes a night, and they're going to try to avoid, especially at home when they have the matchup advantage, to not necessarily put them out there against the top couple lines for the other team. Jones, to be fair, I don't think he's been great so far this season. You haven't seen a whole lot of offense or a whole lot of that puck handling and skill and vision that he's been touted for having that hasn't popped quite yet. He's not getting a lot of power play time, obviously, but even at five on five, he hasn't been super dynamic with the puck granted in limited opportunities. And defensively, I think he's been solid a lot of the time, but there have been a few times where, whether you want to call it getting overwhelmed or just flat out getting beat, there have been a few times where you've seen him on the ice for goals against where you feel like he still needs to gain some experience in how to play in some of those situations. There's definitely been some rush opportunities against him and Schneider where you feel like they're a little out of position or they're a little hesitant to play the puck and maybe that brief moment of doubt or brief moment of hesitation ends up being costly but it's so early I mean for us to really find out what this guy is as an NHL player it's going to take a lot more than five games so is it the biggest deal for Hayek to play occasionally no but does it feel like a dead end road for the Rangers yes ultimately it's much more important for them the priority needs to be figuring out Can Jones play at this level and doing everything you can to help him succeed in that kind of a role? How long will the leash be for him? When might the Rangers think of an alternative such as Matthew Robertson? That's a good question. I think back to last year with Nils Lundqvist. The Rangers gave him over 20 games. I think it was like 20, might have been 25 games before they decided that they didn't like what they were seeing and decided to pull the plug, I would think you'll see something similar with Jones. He'll probably get a couple months. They'll want to see some progress for him. And if they feel like he's regressing or feel like he's stagnant or just feel like he's not performing up to the level that they want him to perform at, then you might see them go to plan B. And I think Plan B would be Robertson. I definitely believe plan B should be Robertson. The early reports I've heard from Hartford are that he's playing pretty well. He actually, I I only looked like three or four days ago, so it might have changed since then. But there was a, a moment where he was actually leading the Wolfpack in scoring. He had four assists in their first four games. So looks like he's being a little more active as far as moving the puck getting involved offensively, and you know he's a bigger guy who's got a better defensive reputation than Jones. So you feel like 
defensively, he might be a little more well-equipped to hold up in that kind of role at the NHL level too. So Robertson, let's not forget, he was taken in the same draft as Jones, and he was actually taken around ahead of Jones. Robertson was a second-round pick. Jones was a third-round pick. Now, Jones went on to UMass, excelled there, won a national championship there, definitely leapfrogged Robertson in the organizational pecking order. But I've told you guys this before, that I don't feel like Robertson is that far behind him. And ultimately, he's a guy that it would not surprise me at all if he gets a look at some point this season. But you don't want to start writing off Jones yet. Again, five games, incredibly small sample size, and you want to see him get more comfortable. Getting pulled in and out of the lineup, what kind of an emotional, mental effect might that have on him? Will that make his confidence wane? Will that allow doubt to creep in? I think that's a very legitimate question. I might ask him that question myself sometime in the next handful of days, week, whatever, next time I get a chance to talk to him. As you guys know, I've talked about this before. Now that the locker room's open, you get a chance to talk to pretty much whoever you want every day, but a lot of it is based on timing. And if you have somebody that you're working on a story about, you might get him. And by the time you talk, you turn around to look for another guy, he's gone. So we'll see how it works out. But I think it's a question I do want to ask Jones at some point. Knowing Jones a little bit, I think he'll probably give a pretty politically correct answer. I don't think he'll rock the boat in that regard. I think he has a pretty good head on his shoulders in that regard. But again, I do think it's worth asking, does that make him leery of making a mistake? Does that make him play tentative to feel like, hey, if I don't have a good game, they're going to put Hayek in for the next game? So we'll see. I think the counter argument the Rangers might make, and I know some players talk about this, is occasionally being able to take a step back, assess your own performance, watch the game from the press box level and and get a feel for everything that's happening on the ice without being so involved and so concentrated on your own game in that moment. Sometimes that can be a refresher for guys. Sometimes that can help guys. So I think there's some merit to that as well. But I do think we got to see a lot more of Jones before we pass any judgment on him. And if it comes to the point where a change is needed, I think Robertson would definitely be in the mix. As far as Ben Harper, this is a guy who's played over 150 games in his NHL career. He is very much a defensive defenseman, a physical defenseman, a big dude. He's listed at six foot six. But I was told right away the Rangers were not signing him to put him on their NHL roster. They were signing him for depth at the AHL level, which is where he is reporting to right now and where he will play initially. Now, if they become really disenchanted with Jones and Hayek and they don't feel like Robertson is ready, that would have to basically be three things happening simultaneously. Harper does feel like a fallback, fallback, fallback option, but I would never say never. I just don't see him being in their immediate plans. I don't think they signed him because they want him to supplant Jones soon. I think they signed him as a just-in-case kind of thing in the event of injury or in the event that things really spiral downward with guys like Jones and Robertson and Hayek. So don't go don't go jumping to conclusions. Don't go assuming the worst on this quite yet. It, it appears on the surface at least to just be a depth signing for now, and we'll see how it plays out. I still think in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see more of Jones 
than anybody. And it'll be on him to seize the role. You know, if you play well, you're going to make the coaching staff keep you in there. But you also want to make sure that they are putting him in position to succeed and doing everything they can do behind the scenes to help him grow into that role. All right, let's get to our final question. This one comes from Eddie Nathan, who wrote, Kratzoff is clearly not ready for the NHL. Big statement there, Eddie. Do you think the Rangers will stick with him if slash when he's healthy, even though they clearly have numerous better options, i.e. VC, Gautier, Brodzinski, and Cooley, he wrote. Interesting, Eddie, that you would say that those four options are clearly better than Kratzoff because I could... I'm not going to give you any names because I would never reveal my sources, but I could think of a handful of people, especially some scouts that I know that would beg to differ with that opinion. I do, I've noticed this, this chatter on social media in particular, and I've actually gotten a couple emails about it as well from fans that seem to be already writing off Kratzoff. And it's a really interesting dynamic because, look, the guy has only played two games so far this season. So nobody in their right mind could tell me that based on just two games, you've decided this guy's a bust, this guy's no good, these other guys are better than him. That certainly is not a fair judgment to pass at this incredibly early stage of the season for a guy who we know has been banged up and is currently now dealing with this upper body injury. We don't know exactly how long it's going to keep him out, but I don't suspect at this point, based on what I'm seeing and hearing, that it's going to be too long. The Rangers have said things are day-to-day before and they end up being longer, but it does kind of look to be a real day-to-day case with him so far. But I think a lot of this dislike that I sense for Kratzoff from people like Eddie has to go back to the whole way that everything played out in the last year or so when he didn't make the team out of training camp last year and he went home to Russia and had this sort of public spat with the Rangers. That obviously left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of Rangers fans and you could understand why. The perception among certain segments of the fan base is that he quit on the team. Whether that's fair or not, it's out there. He's aware that it's out there, and there's been a lot of vitriol directed at him since then. I've played clips of him talking to me on the show before. I've talked about this situation with you guys before. He seems hypersensitive to that to me, and I think that it weighs on him still. I still in some ways feel like he's walking on eggshells a little bit, both in terms of what he says to the media, how he how he deals with his teammates, and I also think it carries over onto the ice. I don't think this is a guy who is quite yet comfortable playing his game freely. I think he's very much worried about doing what the coaching staff wants. He's very much worried about his reputation. He's very much worried about trying to carve out a role for himself. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And maybe that's why in the preseason, and I guess we could say in the first two games of the season that he played, he hasn't wowed you. He hasn't jumped out to you 
quite yet. But again, he's played two games this season. You cannot fairly say this guy stinks or I don't like this about this guy when he's played so little so far this season. It's going to take a lot more, at least for me, to determine whether I think he's going to be a good NHL player or not. To me, it is TBD, to be determined. I I don't know what he's going to be. I'm not convinced he's going to be a great or even good NHL player at this point. I still think in my mind he has a lot to prove because, again, how much have I really seen him play at this level in, in a legitimate role? But for me to write him off at this point would be very irresponsible. And I would I would say that to a lot of people who maybe feel the way that Eddie feels. I, I, I understand why you are upset with the way that things were handled in the past. I've told you guys before, I think he made mistakes along the way. I think he definitely got some bad advice along the way. But I also think that there were missteps on the side of the Rangers. And trust me, I've talked to people who are closer to the situation than I have who agree with that. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around for what's happened in the past. But I think the only fair thing to do at this stage is to judge him for what happens moving forward. Isn't it frustrating that he's already been hurt twice this season? Yes, absolutely. And trust me, nobody's more frustrated about it than him. But does that make him soft? I really take issue with people who go kicking and screaming on social media, calling players soft about an injury, like especially the Heedle one the other night. I mean, that it's just ridiculous. The guy clearly was hit in the head by an NHL player with his shoulder. If that same NHL player hit any one of us in the head with his shoulder at that type of speed, we would probably all have some kind of head trauma. We would probably all have some kind of head injury. So to, to call players soft for getting injured, listen, to me, that's just a bad look. Like It's easy to be a tough guy and say, oh, that, that wouldn't have kept me out. That guy's soft. But the, the, the fact is, this is a game that is played at high speed, and unfortunately, injuries happen. Are there some guys that are more injury prone than others? Yes. We've seen evidence of that across all sports, but you know I'm not going to sit here and bash a guy for getting injured. I think that's ridiculous. So the case of Kratzoff, it's an open book. I don't feel strongly either way at this point as far as is he going to be a useful player for them or is he not. I need to see a lot more before I can make that determination. I think that's probably the most fair stance that any of us can take. If you want to say he has a lot to prove, if you want to say he hasn't earned consistent ice time yet, that's fair. That's okay. But to to start labeling guys busts or to start labeling guys soft or to start saying these other guys are clearly better than him. I mean, you know, some of the names on this list, Eddie, here, listen, Jimmy Vesey, I think, can in some ways be a useful player for the Rangers. But this is a guy who struggled to hold down roles with teams that are worse than the Rangers in the last couple years. Did he have a good camp? Yes. Can he be effective as a fourth-line PK guy? Yes. But is a Stanley Cup-caliber team going to have him in their top nine? I think the answer is no. Julian Gauthier. This is a guy who's had way more opportunities to make an impression at the NHL level than Kratzoff has at this point. And if we're being fair, the assessment on Gautier so far has been he's not good enough to play in the top nine 
on an NHL caliber team. The, the size and the speed, that's what everybody always brings up. It's clear as day with him, but the finishing ability has not been there. The hockey sense has not been there. I know a lot of people that feel like he can be a defensive liability. Like he's just a guy who hasn't been able to find a niche. And that's why the Rangers sent him to the AHL this season. They, they called him up now because of injury. And he had a couple flashes in that game against the Islanders, but it didn't result in any production, which has been the knock on him. So I feel like we have way more of a book on Gautier now than we do on Kratzoff. And, and so far with Gautier, it hasn't been good enough. Brodzinski, nice depth player, but again, more of a, an a, a really good AHL player who you can call up in a pinch if needed, not an every night NHL player. And Will Cooley, listen, Cooley in the long run could definitely end up being better than Kratzoff. We don't know, but he's getting his first taste of the AHL right now. There's no need to rush him. I think he'll be in the mix for a call-up at some point this season. It could be soon if he's playing well for Hartford. But Kratzov is older. He's more advanced. He was a first-round pick that you've been waiting for so long to see. He's finally here. They're going to give him an opportunity before they give Cooley. And we're not going to judge off of two games that all of a sudden, you know, he's not good enough. He's got to get out of here. So long-winded answer for you, for you here, Eddie. But... I don't think I can sit here and agree with you that he's clearly not ready for the NHL. What we're trying to find out right now is the answer to that question. Is he ready for the NHL? I don't have the answer yet. Two games in a week or so of the season are not going to give me that answer yet. We need to wait and see. A little patience is going to be required. And if it doesn't work out, just like we talked about with Jones, if you give him a few months and it's not working out, well, then you consider what plan B is. Is that Will Cooley? Is it a trade? I think it definitely could eventually end up being a trade. I still think that when we look at this top nine, it feels like they're going to need to bolster it in some way, shape, or form at some point this season. But they made amends with Kratzoff and brought him in because they want to see if he can be part of the solution as a piece in the top nine. They need cheap, talented forwards with skill who can solidify and round out their top nine right now. And he's a guy that they brought in to give that opportunity and he hasn't had enough of an opportunity to do it yet. So let, let's, let's see how it plays out before we start saying he's clearly not ready or he's clearly not good enough. Nothing is clear at this point. So that will do it for this week's episode. I thank everybody for listening. I thank Ryan and Greg for taking the time to come on the show. We will be back Next week, I actually have the Rangers schedule right here. They are playing on Tuesday and Thursday next week. So I will have a normal episode that I will record on Wednesday and will come out on Thursday next week. So we'll be back on the normal schedule. Until then, I will check in with you guys from Dallas. I hope you all enjoy your weekends. You'll have plenty of hockey to watch. And... Yeah, be well, be good, stay safe, and we'll talk next week.